Got to ask Kurt Russell. Cool. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Oh, are you kidding me? He's fucking Kurt Russell. <laughs> it would be disappointing yeah. if you said no, right? But, yeah. yeah. Be the I kind of thing to... where I'm like, if he's not cool, lie to me. I would lie to you. Yeah. No, yeah. I wouldn't. Like, yeah. I, I, yeah. Please lie. Good evening and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the show where we hold horror to standards it absolutely never agreed to. <laughs> Good evening and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the podcast where we hold horrors to progressive standards nobody agreed to. Tonight we're talking about the seasonal slasher that started the whole game, the proto-slasher, some people even call it, Black Christmas. I am your host, Jeremy Whitley, and with me tonight I have a panel of cinephiles and cenobites. First, they're here to challenge the sexy werewolf, sexy vampire binary, my co-host Ben Kahn. Ben, how are you tonight? Good. You know, having gone into this movie blind beyond what we saw in the insane 2020 remake with the devil cult, my reaction to this movie in four words, Margot Kidder, holy shit. I didn't even recognize that it was her. Like, I didn't know she was in it. I'm honestly not familiar with enough of her work to have, like, really recognized her on the spot. But she was on screen for 30 seconds, and I had to stop and look it up because I just knew... Well, I must know her from somewhere. There's no way this level of screen presence didn't go on to become a huge thing. Fantastic. Uh, yeah, and the cinnamon roll of Cenobites, our co-host, Emily Martin. How are you tonight, Emily? I'm calling from inside the house. Oh, good. Is this the well, first? it's really going to challenge my internet connection that way. Yeah, sorry. I'm I'm right so next to you. I'm right behind this, you. Oh, no. This was before A Stranger Calls, but I think A Stranger hey, Calls. Yeah, it came out while they were filming this. Oh, got to be wild. Parallel, some parallel development there. Yeah, yeah I and, jumped and in before my intro. I'm sorry. It's all right. You, oh, I was gonna <laughs> say, and you just heard him, our guest tonight, the writer of several of both my favorite comics and yours, and the brand new show Monarch Legacy of Monsters, which just started coming out. When you're hearing this, it's Matt Fraction. Matt, so glad to have you. Hi, thanks for having me. And there were many writers. I was one of them. And, yes, but uh, there's uh, there's uh, me and. Uh, co-created with a, a fellow named Chris Black, who did uh, some uh, Star Trek. He did um, the Kirkman show, the Paul Azaceda book. It was on Cinemax. Uh, cut this. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Let me start I, that over. Hi, thanks. Yes, lovely to be here. I, I know uh, the one you're talking about, but uh, yes. I, I cannot remember the name of it either. Matt, thank you so much for being on. This is awesome and a wonderful movie to talk about tonight. Thank and you. thank you for writing some Godzilla. Oh yeah, well, I was one one of one of many, but uh, uh, we we had an amazing group of people working on the show, and I can't believe that it's out in the world. I, I literally can't believe it's out in the world. It have been a project I've been working on for five years, almost to the day that this podcast drops and that the, that the show premiered. It's it's crazy, and uh, yeah, it's 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 great, and I hope you dig it. Thank you for Godzilla, and thank you for some of my favorite comics ever. Yeah, we're oh, getting thanks today. Yeah, it makes sense. We're right about that time of time of the year. Exactly. Wow, this was like I'm not surprised that this movie and you know Halloween and A Stranger Calls. I feel like they were all probably pulling from like a lot of the same influences and a lot of that same like the news going on because I feel like I have no historical basis. I'm just basing this off vibes. It seems like 70s is when crime got weird. 
It was, I think in the seventies, it was starting to really like the serial killer thing was starting to really hit mainstream media. As like a new phenomenon and people yeah. didn't like, it really freaked people the fuck out. Yeah. And well, like horror came home, right? Like yeah. it wasn't, you didn't have to be in a, in a, in a Moorish castle or, or whatever. It was, it was suddenly Haddonfield or, you know, I can't, you know, Toronto, wherever they, wherever they were pretending this was. Oh yeah. yeah. The idea that like that level of just monster that usually like that level of mon of monstrous actions, you know, you usually ascribe to, oh, well, they have to be a vampire or a werewolf or some sort of monster is now just, well, I guess in real life, sometimes you don't know who at any time a flip could just switch and now they're murder monster. There was a lot of psycho in this too. There was yeah. like a lot of Hitchcock. Ooh, yeah, yeah and... definitely. Especially with all the POV. Yes. It's sort of wild to me. I think the first time I watched it, I think my reaction to it was like, why is any of this happening like this in this order? Like, it, it just seems like it's like, do they not know? Oh, no, they don't. They're inventing this as they go along. Like, yeah, you know, the slasher is not a thing at this point. They're just sort of putting it together. And and Bob Clark honestly would not like be a horror guy. He's He's going to be doing a lot of other stuff. So like, this is very like making the road as they go. And was I think watching it a second time, I have sort of more appreciation for that and sort of like that this is a, a movie that's just sort of figuring all of the stuff out that we like take for granted as they're doing it. Yeah, it, it's inventing I, a, a grammar, you know, I kind will, of moment to moment. I will say I know I've been doing this show too long because I got so excited when Art Hindle, star of the brood, showed up in this movie. <laughs> And yeah, then, also, also how you know another way that you know that they shot it in Toronto. Yeah, yeah. yep, yep. Yeah. And then and that got, building, that building, the cop station shows up in all kinds of movies. A fifty-five something center. I can't remember. It's a it's a famous. It's a community center, Toronto. But it's been in a lot of movies, and you will see it now that you've seen it. Like that weird kind of you're it, it mm-hmm. every time it pops up, you're like, ooh, ooh, ooh. It's funny because DiCaprio so small. Yeah, like it's such a it's a weird, very kind of cramped environment in I there. Did, but I did really like this kind of Toronto college town vibe oh, yeah. to it. It's that, such a cozy movie, right? Yeah, it kind of is. Sweaters and a fireplace and like those scarves. Though these fraternity houses are like these fraternity houses are all like walking distance away from each other and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, I like the and like and just like. Even you know, before the first time I ever saw this, even before I kind of knew anything about anything, that first shot of the sorority house, I'd like, oh man, this they this is they shoot Christmas like a Christmas story. Yeah. Like, and it's it makes sense. If it's it's Reginald Morris, it's the same guy that shot a Christmas story, it's Bob Clark or the same director. And like it's the same, this is what Christmas looks like. It's this it, it could happen. It he shoots the sorority house the same way he shoots Ralphie's house. And it's just yeah. like just immediately, oh, it's Christmas. Put on sweater and lower the lights and yeah it's it's... it it looks like the place a thousand lifetime movie career obsessed city gals have fallen in love with the hunky small town like in manager they try those movies try to look like this right like there is a there is a texture and it might be the film it might be the the lighting saturation i don't know but like there is a particular texture it probably is. Speaking of texture, <laughs> and this well, is but my... also, but but it's like I mean, I think 
it's it's certainly the grain, right? It's certainly the cameras yeah. and the lenses and all that stuff. But at the same time, like like no, everyone's wearing sweaters and turtlenecks yeah. and scarves. Like there's you know there's a there's everything is knit and and yeah, not to not to to crib too much from with Gorley and Rust, but like it's cozy. It's like the coziest horror movie. And there's time. like there's warm lighting too yeah. everywhere. Yeah. yeah, and and there's a lot of like there's it's it is cozy. The the spaces are kind of they're not too small, but they're smaller than you usually see in a lot of modern movies. Everything is like super wide, like 0.5, whatever. And now we're seeing these small spaces. And then also one of the things I noticed about the movie in terms of space is that you have all this weird crosstalk, mm-hmm. as if you're looking at a scene from the vantage from next to the person who's talking, which unfortunately um, the Peacock version didn't have subtitles. So I, I had to guess a few of the things that were being said, but most of it I, I managed to understand, but it does help that, that coziness factor and like sort of the, the, the textural factor of it. It's got um, that Robert Altman thing, right? Or it's, it's everybody's, it's, it's a room full of eight. Yeah. I mean, they're yeah. all talking at the same time and like, well, yeah. great, go. It feels real. It feels lived in. You know? There's like also, I think, weird... part of what, like, you can tell Margot Kidder is a star because whenever she starts talking, like, you're looking at her, like, yeah. everybody else, you're what... like, no, I'm, what is she talking about? I'm, I'm interested in her. Her whole, like, fellatio joke with Nash. Nash, by the way, feels like he's only qualified to be a cop in, like, the Dick Van Dyke show. When I was. Or, you know, real life. Yeah, yeah, and yet it's real. God. Real, oh yeah. I was just fucking laughing so hard at Margot Kidder just fucking with Nash. Like, oh, like you know, you're so right. Like it's the scene just stops and just focuses. Like it can't look away whenever like she's that screen presence. She's got the riz as the kids say. I'm sad that she wasn't the final girl. Yeah. You know, it's like it's so perfectly cast. Yeah. And and she and that like she's playing the character that sucks the air out of the room and racks focus onto herself and demands everyone pays her attention. You know, I uh, love her like yeah alcoholic breakdown on the couch. Oh, that was fantastic! And it's sort of like I, the only you know I, I I wish she had lived to the next afternoon because I think the morning after where she realized you know I I wish there was the scene of her realizing everything she had said and done. Yeah, it's but yeah. it's such that thing of like, oh, you're 20. You think you know everything. <laughs> was I laying on the couch absolutely pissed out of my mind reading Playboy? Is that what I was doing? Margot Kidder in this movie is what Woody Allen thinks he's writing his love interest as, but doesn't actually have the nerve to actually write. You know? Well, she's uh, yeah. too old for one. Yeah. 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 Nice. <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah, isn't it weird how nobody in Manhattan ever goes, "Oh, geez, Albie, she's 14. It's very weird. <laughs> All these sophisticated New Yorkers, no one points out that, like, uh, geez, Albie, your girlfriend's the only one that's got homework. Uh, this movie, our final girl is, is it Husey or Hussey? Hussey, Hussey, okay. yeah, Olivia Hussey. <laughs> Olivia Hussey uh, is our final girl. Which makes sense. It was 1974. She was coming off Romeo and Juliet. But I do really want to share a little bit of trivia about this movie, which is. Apparently, Olivia Hussey took on this role because a psychic told her she was going to be in a really successful Canadian movie. That is such a 70s actor thing to do. And that the same psychic was apparently trying to help her manifest Paul McCartney as her boyfriend. Which, is that uh, true? Yeah, I, I read a, a thing with Margot Kidder saying that, like, yeah, we 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 gave her a pretty hard time about that. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Oh, and, and Andrea Martin out? of SCTV. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Originally, that part was going to be Gilda Radner, and she had to drop out to yeah. go do Saturday Night Live. I mean, she's, um, she's great. I love Andrea Martin, though. Like, oh, yeah. I just the yeah. worst. The minute she shows big, like, oh, no, they're going to kill Andrea Martin. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> that, hey, I live in fear of the season of only murders where they kill Andrea Martin at some point. Cause... Oh no! Don't don't even say it into the universe. Yeah, stick in that. Is she is she back in season is she back in season three? I haven't started. Yeah, season she's three. in yes. season three. Season yeah. three. I, I, she has some amazing material in season three. She's the best. She's, she's the, the one best. that my mom was trying to remember the name of. I haven't gotten up to to past season one yet. I did see that Andrea Martin was in the remake and I thought to myself, oh, we watched the remake and I don't remember her in it. And then I realized we watched the other, other remake. remake. Yeah. Which, yeah. The other movie. the remake that we watched has very little to do with this film other than it being yep. Christmas and there being a sorority. Yeah. The other the remake that Andrea Martin is in where she's playing the Miss Mac role. Mrs. Mac. Yeah. Yeah. is much more like straightforward kind of the same thing with the odd slasher vibe the one we watched is kind of carrie yules as andrew tate warlock <laughs> it's yeah. weird it's an accurate description yeah uh, that one doesn't have what this one does which is the handsomest man in the world john saxon is yeah being handsome with the... i was so happy when i saw john saxon in this movie can i quasi this isn't really name dropping i gotta tell it but i love my agent um the only person i know in hollywood that legitimately that it works in TV or movies that legitimately like I would have my agent to my house. You know what I mean? Like I, I genuinely, <laughs> my agent's oh. a great dude. I love him. He's done right by me. Fights for me. He's the best guy. And like a guy of ethics and standards, all this stuff, just the opposite of, of Ari on Entourage or whatever. And we were talking about something the day that John Saxon had died. And I said, as I, all of us did when they've heard that John Saxon died, oh no, John Saxon died. And he's like, yeah, yeah, no, it's it's a bummer. He was such a great guy and like a great neighbor. And, just, and oh. what? And John Saxon was his next door neighbor. And it's the only time I've ever been mad at my agent. It was like, well, you've, at that point, you've been my agent for like five, six years. And I was like, you're just telling me now that John Saxon lives next door to you. I could have gone to your house under the pretense of going to your house to meet John Saxon. That's how you but, know he's professional. That's true. He really keeps yeah. it. He keeps the show yep. wired tight. Yeah. But like John Saxon is one of those guys that, Anytime he shows up, the movie immediately gets an extra half star in my head. Like, it oh. is sad because that was, I believe he was also like a last minute replacement mm-hmm. for that role. Yeah. It's kind of one of the many sick ironies at the end of the movie is John Saxon shows up and you're like, hey, dad's here. <laughs> yeah. Right. Dad's yeah. going to finally, dad's here. He's going to make it all better. He's going to get to the bottom of things. He's going to, and doesn't. No. It takes you know, so much for me to actually feel safe when a cop shows up in one of these movies, even knowing how ineffectual they always are. Yeah. Just, but when Saxon shows up, I'm like, it's going to be okay. Yeah. It's not, but you feel it. Yeah. Yeah. It just makes the ending that much I, more of a twist in the gut. But, I, you yeah. know, you're somewhere like this movie's making it up. And I just was like, this is probably the start, like one of the first, like, the cop in the car watching over the house gets killed. And now in right. every movie. Completely right. off screen, too. Yeah. If there is a cop standing guard outside a house, they're a goner. Yeah. Yeah. We haven't mentioned also that uh, Olivia Hussey, who plays Jess, her boyfriend is played by Kira Delea. Uh, his name is Peter in this. But he is also, you know, of 2001 A Space Odyssey and many, many other films. 
So he's very difficult to like in this film. Much more likable as is, is Dave Bowman in 2001, even though that's hard to like much of anybody in 2001. Well, I think it's really something else to say about Margot Kidder because she's so likable in, in this movie, even though she has honestly one of the most heinous fucking lines I've ever heard. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, she's a despicable like, oh, like, but everyone knew that person. Some yeah. of us probably yeah. were that person. Yeah. She was the uh, edge lordess before her time. You know what I mean? Edge lady. <laughs> edge lady. Yeah. Edge touches. Also, isn't it? How is that not a 90s anti-hero like bombshell lady? Edge There's... lady. What, this was 74? Yeah. Yes. Yep. So it's, it's five years after 2001 has come out. It's six years after 2001 was made. Keir Delea has, has, has taken a lot of knocks in his time. I will say this. He somehow is 15 years younger in this movie. I buy yeah. Dave, but like I buy that Dave Bowman is an astronaut capable of deep space travel and making a spaceship happen and doing all the stuff Dave Bowman does. Like he plays it with such uh, Kubrickian uh, competence. And in this, like, oh, you're a fucking 22 year old asshole. You know, you're a snot nosed, spoiled college kid. And it's crazy to me that it's five or six years after 2001 and he fits that role he he is he is an insufferable grad student a uh, tortured artiste and it's like you couldn't fly a spaceship you're an asshole you're right <laughs> didn't recognize him he's got kind of like the slumped shoulders like he's always looming over pouts people, you know he's out. Yeah. very pouty yeah he's got the I, most I, 70s hair now fast <laughs> i didn't recognize him because he was talking so fast yeah, and he's got the kind of you know he's yeah. got the the very he's, hair instead of the kind of the tight high and tight astronaut I, thing yeah i will say though he's not the most 70s character in this movie no. that honor is taken by phil's boyfriend who has the afro those glasses that mustache that is the most 70 who is just dressed as santa and swearing up a storm in front of children those poor children that so is the most 70s man in the movie a man that it's amazing does not come back just to get killed in this movie. Also, like clear they had no right, like they're they were making it up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it's like if this any is an other horror movie, movie now. Yeah, yeah. One of the things that struck me that, and I, I really like slashers, but you know, there's a a thing where like after like Friday the Thirteenth two, none of the kids tend to be likable. Or if there's someone likable, they're either going to die first or make it out, right? Like everyone gets so insufferable. And part of it, I think, is they were thinking, well, we want people to cheer when the kids die. So the kids all got to be dicks. Yeah. And we've talked about in like in Scream what ghouls everybody is. Yeah, I Um, think it was part of that. It's the 80s. We're now in Reaganomics. We explicitly demand the blood sacrifice of the youth. Yeah, I don't I don't even know. You know, I just think it's they didn't want to bum people out and it's easier when you're rooting for the kids to die right like like the first two friday the 13th movies there's charm to those casts right there's there is a great charm to the ensemble of women in this movie oh yeah the the three kids in halloween laurie strode survives because laurie strode's the best and that just kind of goes away from from these movies uh so quickly it's just it's i think to their detriment quite honestly and frequently but like it's so great in this where like you enjoy all of them and know exactly who they are in the first 10 minutes exactly who each of their types are you know and and you want to hang out there you know i want to hang out in that house Without it looks that... lived in too right it's like oh, such yeah. a real location yeah like you said it's very cozy and warm yeah 
the old style house with the weird 70s color blocking curtains mm-hmm. and the hippie ass posters and stuff like that. The poster and, so the, and the father's quiet oh, revulsion. Yeah. yeah. The depravity that poster represents. There's yeah. definitely a moment in this movie where that father's doing the math and mental math is like, I would rather my daughter be dead than fucking. Yeah, no, he he realizes my daughter's been railed in this room and and Christmas was going to be terrible. <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, it's interesting point? watching this, like having grown up in the 80s and like looking at this and being like, oh, a lot of the stuff that I was informed were things that were like, new and deviant in movies when I was growing up existed in the 70s without issue. That was just mm-hmm. how it was. And it wasn't until, you know, several years later that uh, all of this stuff got kicked out of the movies and they got much, yeah, much more serious about that stuff. But uh, yeah. Matt, I, what you're saying about how the characters are likable, I mm-hmm. think that's such an important part, though. You do know who these people are. You do connect even Barb, who is just just saying just the worst things, being kind of cruel to everyone, and yet you still yeah. can't help a lover. And I think that especially becomes important with the ending, because yeah. you can't pull off an ending like that if you don't care about these characters. And yeah. that is one of the most haunting and chilling endings I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. And and also, I love that it's ambiguous. I love that there's no answer. I love that it's not... You never really find out who Billy is. And thank why, God, you know, thank God. Like, I love that we don't learn that. Yeah, that there's no, it's not even, it's not even the point and it's never answered. This is also like the, literally the only movie I've ever seen that gave me a literal cold shiver. And it does it every single time with the shot of Billy's eye. Yeah. Between like, it, it, yeah. it every, and even now, like, I know it's coming. I can tell everyone, oh, here comes here comes my favorite shot. Here comes my favorite shot. And every single time it's like, oh, God, it's so creepy. I mean, I live in, you know, an A floor apartment that has a single door in and out. And yet I'm still just like looking at all my windows, just checking like, OK, but there's no way someone can sneak in, though, still. Right. right, right. But I'm- <laughs> I'm making sure like Spider-Man isn't waiting to just like fucking jump me now. It's one eyeball looking at you. It's just. (laughs) Yeah, no, you're so right. Like the horror brought home, like you said, and like right when that was a brand new concept. And somehow the phone calls are the most explicit part of the movie. Like this is not a movie with a lot of blood. No. You know, much like like Chainsaw, like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, like there's not a ton of blood in this movie. It's kind of the the phone calls and the tone are the thing that make it rated R. Like there's no nudity. The phone calls, like or even today, it's like, oh, oh my God, I can't believe they said, you know. Yeah. Don't say that to Olivia Hussey. That what? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Barb's is the only murder that's bloody. Yeah. And even then it's so arty. Yeah. Very yeah. hard. You got the unicorn. You got like the moody lighting with the black, the glass unicorn yeah. and the reds. Yeah. There's nope. more blood in Psycho. You know, yeah. Psycho's got more blood than Texas Chainsaw, but that and this are both such masterful tonal nightmares that every time I watch it, I'm like, oh, right. It's really implied. It's almost like a Val Luton movie with all the stuff that you don't see. The revulsion yeah. and dread that this movie is able to inspire with just claire in the rocking chair like that it doesn't need extra gore it just needs to be what it is yeah yeah just horrifying 
Yeah. And also the whole idea of being inside the house and also the, all the evidence is inside the house as well. And nobody's seen it because nobody's like even thinking about it. Yeah. 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 One thing that was just a little funny because we just did an episode of Scream 6 where they explicitly talk about like, oh, you need us to track down the call, but it takes you like five minutes and we got to keep them on forever. And they make fun of that and how it's improved. And now they can do it in like 10 seconds. So it was kind of fun to go all the way back to probably like with the original, like you got to keep them on the line to track the call. I like that we actually get to see the guy running around the exchanges at the phone company, which yeah. is not yeah. like anything they ever show you when they're tracking calls and things. He's just, you know, running from bank to bank trying to figure out. He and John Saxon are the only two competent adults in the whole movie. Yeah. John <laughs> Saxon's partner or at least office mate or whatever who's who's named Laughing Cop because that's all he does in the movie. Yeah. 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 And you got to think about like, I don't know. I mean, before, like, I mean, how many decades could it be since like, you know, mass adoption of landline phones? It kind of does, you know, make me realize with uh, that first screen movie, it's like, damn, the use of emerging communications technologies like for horror has been part of the slasher genre since the very beginning. Yeah. I don't know if this is the first film or media, you know, uh, famous media you know, a stranger yeah. calls would came out right before this. I think you said, yeah, so, yeah, yeah but definitely I'm, I'm talking the about the meme. You know, it's coming from inside the house. Sure, sure. Yeah, I don't know if this is the first time for that, but I'm sure that you know, if we track its genealogy, yeah, of that joke, right? But this is a big part of that development. Yeah, it, yeah, it was this, and and when a stranger calls came out right around the same, and like I think there were kind of urban legends predating. Yeah, it. yeah, I think it was a combination of the urban legends some specific murders that had happened in Montreal. And then Ed Kemper, they said, was one of those specific sources for the villain. Yes. Yeah, which, if you know anything about Ed Kemper, folks, yeah, that that checks out. Yeah, 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 actually. So I was thinking about that. Okay. But anyway, you go ahead, Jeremy. Let's talk more about the index of this movie after we... Yeah, let's, let's talk a little bit about what happens in it. We open at this uh, sorority house. They're having sort of this pre-holiday party. They're always sort of having a party in this movie or having people over. They're having fun. Um, but it's, it's okay. they're, oh, they're going home for the semester break. Yeah. It's, they've all finished. Their, their The finals are done and everybody's going to start peeling off for Christmas vacation. So it's also sorority house party. It's a sorority house. So there's always something going on. Yeah, yeah. like parties. They're, they're there to be had parties in. And Barb <laughs> is like a machine off the bat with her. Her one-liners and and she she calls her mom a gold-plated whore on the phone. It was lovely, and yeah, she says about isn't her, isn't her choker say something like sex or something? Like I she's wearing this kind of like she's wearing like a ribbon, like a velvet ribbon, and I, like I think it says like sex on it or something like that. Or it does have an X on it. Yeah, so I think probably. I think I think she's just wearing like a velvet ribbon around her neck that says sex. So like just in case you're wondering <laughs> what she's about. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. So she went to whatever hot topic was in Toronto in 1974. Barb, <laughs> Barb knows who she is. Yeah, yeah. Is that the she... same hot topic that that Jess went to for the big hands mitt sweater? Because oh, I, I, where do I find that? Yeah, that's pretty great. Yeah, she she also refers to Claire. She talking about Claire. She says, "I know a professional virgin when I see one," um, and she she delivers the line we were talking about earlier. The most uncomfortable line in the film. She says, uh, uh, "You we... can't rape a townie," which is awful like it's oh <laughs> watching it i was like oh, i'm enjoying her so much oh i'm enjoying her less yeah um, but... i i just kind of had to just like pause the movie and just kind of you know 
pick myself back up before I kept going with that one at, yeah. with it. That, that is fortunately the worst thing she says in the movie. At least it's not just like a fountain of, you know, stuff that would make Ben Shapiro blush. This whole movie would make Ben Shapiro blush. True. Uh, certainly. You can when... see ankles and necks and things. Yeah. So we uh, we also get the arrival of uh, Miss Mac, which is their sort of house mom. She she gargles whiskey when she can't find uh, any any uh, mouthwash and she curses like a sailor. She's great. Claire, unfortunately, at this point, doesn't know she's in a horror movie and keeps wandering around asking who it is, who's there. She gets wrapped up in plastic and then killed almost immediately. And the the killer will only ever be referred to by himself as Billy. It sings her a truly disturbing lullaby and then spirits her up away into the garage where we will continue to see her dead in the rocking chair throughout the the rest of the, the movie. Ad- attic, oh. the attic. Yeah. Sorry, yes. the attic, not the garage. Which the cops will never search. The best is that it's like, you know how like in movies, every attic has a an empty birdcage? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the best. That's how you know it's an attic is there's a birdcage. If there wasn't a birdcage, then it could be a garage. That bird right. is long. There's dead. a birdcage. Birdcage. Yeah. Attic. There was a pigeon rat in that birdcage at some point. But I was uh, the fraternity parrot who didn't make it past the 50s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, just gets a phone call from her her boyfriend Peter. Mysteriously says they need to talk about something important. They don't talk about it here, but it'll come back up. Now it's the next day. We just skipped forward. Claire's dad is who could easily play Scrooge. It's looking for her. He's a he's a real prick to Mrs. Mac about pretty much everything. He's a prude. They've got all their lewd and suggestive posters and behavior and things like that. And he's he's not into any of that. Although Miss Mac, she's also she's got you know she also clearly smells of smells of alcohol and can't identify the location of his daughter. Like uh, justifiable Canadian frustration in that in that really. I think I think he's 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 he might be a tight ass, he might be horrible, but like yeah, no, he's totally entitled. Yeah. Also, I know earlier Barb calls Mrs. Mac Miss Mac a professional virgin. I'm sorry, Miss Mac Fox. No, she's been fucking She's been fucked. Like, she's tired of it. Like, she fuck- she's she's fucked everything and everyone, and good for her. And she's at the point where she's, like, post- she's post-sexual. And the not run- because of her age. Because of her just- She's bored with it. She's bored, yeah. yeah. She now has to keep Sherry hidden in toilets. She She's won at sex. She accomplished yeah. it. Yeah, no. She's, like, it's, like, a, a post, like, multi-gold medal athlete- like she's resting on her laurels now. She, on his days she, off, you think Michael Jordan goes and plays basketball? Yeah, she she's Jordan. Yeah. Re, she's Jordan retiring with six rings. Yeah, she's got several perfumes based off of her KY jellies. I love the joke though of just all of her hidden alcohol hiding spots. Yes, that was just a delight. Again, like these are these characters don't just exist to be killed off. These are fun, likable characters with internal lives like all their own. And it was just, oh, this is a good movie. I'm so glad we got <laughs> to watch this one. I've never seen it, and it's good. At this point, we find out that Jess's thing that she needs to talk about is that she is pregnant and uh, wants to have an abortion. Peter is not okay with this. So he's also too busy fingering his piano to actually discuss it. He a very important composition to work on. Yeah, yeah, he has a very important, what sounds like a pretty bad, or I guess he's just, 
I guess he cannot play the piano because he is so angry that his girlfriend wants an abortion later. Well, he's um, been in the conservatory for eight years, which I don't know if that's supposed to, I don't know how long you're supposed to say at a conservatory or if that was just their way of writing around the actor's age and making the audience not question it. Look, if he was better at fingering the piano, he probably wouldn't be in this situation right now. That's what I'm saying. That's his fault. He's, he's a pretty... I'm not the one making these comments. <laughs> he's a pretty awful <laughs> man, baby. And oh, I welcome. very much understand why Jess wants to dump his loser. His Beatles hair have an ass. <laughs> Ringo Starr looking motherfucker. Well, she wanted... I mean, the actor wanted Paul McCartney. Maybe she, this is what she manifested. I didn't I order do, her Ringo. I wanted Paul. <laughs> I do appreciate just how, what like, you wish for. how much this movie, like it doesn't, the movie doesn't comment on it directly, but how like sort of innately in telling the story, it is pro-choice and pro-her. Oh, yeah. Her. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. She's too young. She can't care for a kid. She has a life and that she wants to live. She has an education yeah. to complete. And this one's supposed to happen. And yeah, yeah. she has complete... Yeah, body she... autonomy and it's not any of his fucking business the yeah. shitty man is trying to use this as a way of controlling her and she is not putting up with it for one solitary goddamn second and but i just one wanna... of the things oh sorry go ahead i just i just want to underscore this because this what matt brought up is very important this is a movie from 1974 where a woman in college says i want an abortion and she lives. She survives the slasher movie. She is not judged for wanting an abortion. She gets harassed by a psychopath that is possibly related, but only is related as he is a psychopath. You know? Well, oh, yeah. And well, and, that to me is something that is very refreshing about this movie and that, you know, is a bit of a product of, you know, being one of the things that kicked off the slasher genre is i think it's you know while some elements maybe you know it doesn't have the formula as polished it also means it doesn't have some of the bad habits that the genre would later pick up and what feels really noticeable to me about this movie is the lack of exploitation yes mm. yes for uh. a genre that would become almost defined by it yeah, especially yeah. anything that happens in a sorority house in a horror movie. There's no like, there's no weird shots of people changing in this. There's no like shower scenes. There's no like, I mean, it is cold outside, and so they wear clothes the whole time. Like they're yeah. you know there's quite really, heavily clothed throughout. There's really only one moment of this movie that is just absolutely ridiculous, over the top, gratuitous sex appeal. And it is Art Hindle storming into that police station with the that fucking the greatest fur coat I've ever seen in my oh, life. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> fucking incredible Art Hindle in that coat. Want to get a poster of Art Hindle in that coat? He goes to playing hockey to wearing that coat. coat. Just... Incredible. He looks like he's ready to just do a fistful of cocaine and go see a boxing match in the city. Talk about science gone wrong in the Arctic. Like he could be studying the thing in that coat. You're talking about Kurt Russell. I was just trying. Yes. Yeah, so, no. I yeah. got you. Yeah. We, okay. we we got you. Um, <laughs> yeah. This is where the the scene occurs that uh, Ben was talking about earlier of them going to the police station to report Claire is missing and uh, Margot Kidder being given the job of of telling the police officer what their phone number is. 
and uh, giving him, telling him that they're in the new exchange fellatio. She then ha- she then has to spell for him, and he doesn't know what it is, which will come back later when he has gives it to the other officers, and uh, they're they're laughing at him, and he says, "What is it? Something dirty? It's something dirty, isn't it?" They just, don't tell him. It's really just great. These cops are like, this is like a Brooklyn Nine Nine type precinct. They're having their own B plots about getting shot in the ass by a crazy old dude. Mm-hmm. I mean, this it's. <laughs> I have a lot of emotions about how these cops deal with the missing persons and how not over Bad, the top or badly or well, I mean that it, nothing has changed. Let me just put it that way. Nothing has changed. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not talking about in movies. Um, yeah, we do have a very like one good cop situation here. Cause they are our Lieutenant our very handsome. Lieutenant is like, wait, hold on. There's these three different things that might be related. This little girl got murdered. And this, you know, college girl has gone missing and they're getting all these like horrible phone calls at the house. Maybe those things are related. It's real, real great detective work. Uh, the rest of the group couldn't do, which does not seem particularly out of character for the rest of the group. As as Ben was saying, we do meet Chris, who is the hockey player, who's Claire's boyfriend. Uh, he's there too little too late and he won't really matter, but he is our Hindle. So, you know, good for him. Um, uh, we also get the bad re- uh, piano recital by Peter. He is so pissed off that his girlfriend has control of her own body that he cannot play the piano anymore. And then we'll proceed to break it with several items, making himself look like a serial killer. And a big whiny baby. Yeah. And, and speaking of whiny baby, The babies, best is like the stink eye that like the faculty are giving it. Like just yes. oh God, eight years yeah. is what this guy came up with. It's just, yeah, it's such yeah. a great iconic Moment of iconic cinematic douchebags. And then I love later when he's like, you know what? I've made the decision all on my own that I think I should leave the conservatory. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't fail. I quit. Whiplash this dude is not. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Uh, We do get then the scene with Barb having a, a breakdown as she's clearly blaming herself for things going wrong with Claire. She had an argument with Claire the night before, and she's accusing everybody else of blaming her while she drinks heavily and reads Playboy on the couch. Is this where she's talking about the turtles? Yeah. This is where okay. she talks about Yeah, that was wild. And some that of them hung for three days. Yeah. yeah. The funny thing about that is she talks about the zebras. Zebras have incredibly long penises, but they... Are they, but are apparently, they, stri- are they striped? No. Not that I'm aware of. That might make them look shorter. I kind of want to see the version of this movie where there is no killer and they all go on a ski trip to distract themselves from like Barb's terrible relationship with her mother. And it's just this like intense 70s coming of age movie. And then we also get to learn about wildlife. Yeah, mostly because, you know, Margot Kidder would have just crushed that as like a lead role, like drama. Yeah. Which, I guess would have somehow led to the ski comedy movies of the 80s because it still would have spawned a genre. <laughs> anyway, sorry, Jeremy. Where, where are we at? Who's who's dead? Is Miss Mac got a hook through her face? Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, that's, the that's little the girl is dead first, we I think. We... Well, yeah, Claire Claire died and she's up there and that, that plastic wrap. I mean, I want to know who made that plastic wrap because it is preserving her. Yeah, we, we do. Everybody else leaves to go on this search party for this little girl who is missing. And that sort of allows 
they kill her to pick people off one at a time. Miss Mac goes looking for her cat in the attic and get the hook to the face for her trouble. I don't know what sort of like industrial work they were doing that involved having that like hook set up in the attic. Really um, heavy birdcage. Yeah, yeah, that that hook is just supporting her whole body weight for hours. It's the uh, the it's wrought iron birdcage. Yeah, with a black hole in it. They, had so they were keeping. Were so heavy. They were keeping an entire emu in there. <laughs> I'm guessing they must have been using that to support the cameraman who was going up and down that ladder while using the camera to film in first person. I was as they were I doing that, I was like, "That's fucking impressive." This guy is. <laughs> a he wasn't climbing a ladder. He was touching ladder rungs with a camera while standing on a stool. Like, let's be real. I saw how he grabbed those left two rungs. It's the, like, movie, ma- movie magic. Movie magic. <laughs> I mean, stepping on a stool or not, I would not have been wanting to do that carrying a 70s film camera. Like, (laughs) Margot Kidder's talking about turtle fucking, and then she said sorry. For not about the turtle fucking. She goes to bed because she's, as she is drunk and pissed, and she's pissed and pissed. Um, Yes. Ninja Turtles fanfic writers, though, take notes. That's not kind of, that's not the kind of turtle she's talking about. The Ninja Turtles are definitely three minute dudes. Anyway, I'm really glad we're on board with this. Okay, so she pissed herself. No, she didn't piss herself. She went. She just went upstairs and went to bed. Yeah, she put up her girly porno mags and uh, went to bed. And they they find the... uh, Jess decides to come home. She's tired of looking for the dead little girl, but then they find the dead little girl immediately after she leaves. And then she starts getting obscene phone calls, and she calls the cops and gets her her useless front desk cop while the grieving dad, or well, uh, I guess not yet grieving, searching dad, Claire's dad is is there, and like recognizes the house number while he's listening to him take this call, and then goes tells the lieutenant he doesn't even like stop him from hanging up the phone. He just is like he goes and tattles to the lieutenant afterwards, but somehow it just gets worse for her because it seems like that she's going to be attacked by the stalker because we see somebody sneaking up on her downstairs, and it's it's worse. It's her shitty boyfriend. <laughs> um, who was there to grill her about having his baby and uh, tells her that she can't have an abortion, to which she rightly says to go fuck himself. And then he then he almost like shoves Lieutenant Fuller as he is leaving the house, which like is a great way to set an impression that you're you're not trying to murder people when when a girl has disappeared, it's just obviously have a loud argument with your girlfriend and then shove the cop on the way out. Yeah, they, they decide to tap the phone and leave a police officer outside of part of a long tradition. Peter is still hanging around outside in the bushes, we see. Barb wakes up having an asthma attack because she thinks she dreamed that there was somebody in her room. It turns out, as we know, that there was somebody in her room. And then she proceeds to be stabbed to death by a glass unicorn, which I feel like is a metaphor for something, but I'm not sure what. If only being penetrated by a horn repeatedly somehow tied into the character of Barb <laughs> and the way she had... Fragile yet deadly yet Margot Kidder's a unicorn. There's something said about the glass menagerie here. I don't remember anything about that play other than there was a glass unicorn. And that's the only reason that I was interested in it when I was little. She had a glass menagerie and that was a unicorn. And I think that that that, that play is about like women having things, I think. Being treated like things. Yeah, She's yeah. Got chlorosis and can't leave the apartment and all that stuff. Thank you, thank you for. <laughs> I, I like, but like, there's also a world where Barb is in fact a virgin. 
and yes. all of and it's overly performative m- oh. machismo. You know what yeah. I mean? That's uh, an interesting uh, take on um, Ken. Yeah, you know, but I know, if, I could, you, but if you knew that, everybody knew that person, right? There was this sort of overly I mean, presenting promiscuousness as an identity that uh, she didn't really mm-hmm. have. Yeah, that, really, I mean, what occurred to me, of, and I, I think a I lot mean, of people online seem to have grasped onto as well, is also the that she is, you know, looking at Playboy in that section, and it's it's like, is is Barb gay? Is Barb bi? Is you know this either performative or or you know trying to to hide that, or you know, it's you know really the first the first time we're seeing Barb in that you know scene where she is drunk. I yeah. think the evidence of. Barb's, you know, hetero question mark, promiscuity as a front, you know, just in the visual storytelling of like of the four main girls in the movie, she's the only one that doesn't have a boyfriend when the movie starts. Yeah. That's okay. I'm trying to remember the names of all the characters and I can't, so I'm not going to. Claire, but Barb, Bill. Is Phil the one with the glasses? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So there was a point and Jess. where Phil and Claire, no, Phil and, and, and Jess were talking in the in one of the main gathering places and they were doing like this very gay like cabedon thing where where phil was like putting her arm up against the wall and like looking at at jess in the eyes and stuff getting very close to each other yeah yeah yeah. it was it was very it was like the the whole like anime cabedon like i need to talk to you yeah no i i really like that interpretation of barb as someone who uses promiscuity as a emotional shield yeah yeah you know it, it, it it's it, yeah, she is the one without a partner it, it's yeah. the 70s everyone's liberated you know she's gonna oh sure i can you know reading playboy and all that stuff and like she clearly like she knows she's being an asshole mm-hmm. she knows she's yeah. gone too far and she, it's and she goes to bed like it's it's it just it, it all, i've always kind of had it in my head that like that is entirely performative promiscuity and I don't even know that that's the right word for it because there's, there's such a ju- there's like a judgmental factor to promiscuity. Yeah, and she like, mostly uses it as a way to argue with people, yeah, to, yeah, to, 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 to create confrontation, like, to yeah. you know fuck with people, to like yeah. Oh, does this people. blow your little small town provincial mind? I'm sitting on the couch reading Playboy. Yeah, she's you know? challenging well, like, everyone. Yeah, you yeah, you but, can't spell fellatio. Yeah, but it it entirely vibes to me is like you're 19 you're 19 and you're pretending yeah Yeah. and i feel like you know if you haven't known a barb you probably definitely known at least like somebody in your life who is just like lying through their teeth about their sexual experience (laughs) yeah and i mean not to be judgmental but i feel like that sort of checks out with her swarovski crystal collection of animals up on her shelf like it does not that does not jive with the like mature worldly yeah Yeah, no right it's it's totally she's got the little girl's room she does even even the even the stuffy the first girl who everybody makes fun of the prim and proper like even she has a little bit of something risque in her bedroom with those with that ridiculous poster yeah yeah barb's got barb's got little glass animals that unicorn horn is very long though and yeah. not terribly sharp. Really sharp enough to get the job done. Yeah, sharp enough. Well, sharp um, enough with the right with the right amount. I mean, anything is sharp enough with the right amount of force, but like that she, belongs she, on that belongs on a motivational poster. I need an inspiring <laughs> photo of the sunset being like, 
anything sharp enough with enough force. But you see, she's the one that engages with Billy on the phone sexually. Yes. Yeah. Everyone else is shocked and outraged and angry. And she's the one that tries to out-dirty the dirty caller. Yeah. And pretends that she thinks it's it's funny that, that there's some old perv out there getting these gigs. Right. Yeah. Spoilers, uh, trying to out-troll the troll does not tend to end well. Does not. No. Well, and now we were talking about Barb. Just one more thing about her whole situation. Oh, it's, it's... Fuck yeah. We could talk about Barb all night. <laughs> Hell yeah, Margot Kidder. Well, we talk about how she's challenging and maybe she's performative. But I think also there is, it does have something to, something in common with depictions of lesbians in cinema in that time that are like, you know, the slightly, you know, for the time progressive depictions of lesbians that I've seen in movies like that, that, you know, they're always challenging and the you know, I, it wouldn't surprise me if that was the intent or the original intent of the the original screenplay or whatever. Yeah. Uh, overly performative uh, heterosexuality to yeah, high, yeah, yeah. deeply closeted homosexuality is, is you know. Yeah. Um, as far as I'm concerned, that's canon. Okay. Sounds good. Yeah. So when we get to our progressive politics about LGBTQIA. Well, I think it's pretty unquestionable that this is definitely a... Uh, a pretty feminist movie you know it's very pro-choice views it's wide variety of women characters it's lack of exploitation and sexual violence and the fact um, that it's not just the killer they are really especially jess has failed by the system in this uh in this yes. movie in a very like you know you know the she's just not really listened to and she's treated poorly and then eventually left to presumably be killed we don't know that for sure it's a very ambiguous ending but mm -hmm. um, you know, also i i don't yeah. think it's an intentional reference but her british accent reminds me of clive barker so <laughs> i don't think clive barker was active on the in the movie scene at this point it's a retroactive being british easter egg oh <laughs> uh, you know Bur once yeah. clive barker got there you couldn't be british in the movie they just had to dub over it because it was unbelievable or something i don't know whatever that's the fuck still they the wildest fucking that's still the wildest fucking part of hellraiser is the dub over to remove all british accents i really hope that they did dub over in this movie all of the the swearing that they did in front of those kids uh yes they were not it was a different bob that's actually bob clark's voice i think doing the calls and he did one thing offset and then they dubbed in something else later because Nobody wanted to talk well, about in front of this group. Yeah. 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 And well, you also mean uh, the Christmas party where Santa is just like fucking cussing a whole bunch yes. in front of the kids. That as well. Because, yeah. yeah. What's his name? Nah, Pretty easy to it. do. Easy, well, easy to do ADR on Santa with the beard. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I'd, like, I'd like to think they were like, these are Canadian children. They've been to hockey games. <laughs> we're not saying anything they haven't heard before. I mean, sure. Kids can be kids and they can, you know, I, I it was have... the uh, the Canadian Parliamentary Fuck Them Kids Act in 1957, I think. That's true. That's true. All very traditional. Uh, yeah. So, well, it's after Barb. Kids... I was just going to say, if those kids were listening to swears, I just want them to have decided to do it. Yeah. After Barb gets stabbed, Jess gets another call from the stalker. The stalker repeats some stuff that Peter has said earlier in the day. So, like, they know that this stalker is is someone or somewhere that would know about that. Phil unfortunately goes to check on Barb and we do not see what happens, but she is dead the next time we see her. Yeah, Jess gets another call from the killer and the phone company does manage to track this one. 
and it's coming from the other phone in the house. And of course, the the detective calls and, and tells Nash, the you know useless officer, he's like, just don't tell her it's coming from in the house. Just get her out of the house. <laughs> and Nash Nash tries it, but and he uh, said, "I'm not supposed to tell you that the calls are coming from inside of the house, and I should just get you out of the oh. house." Does that make any sense to you? Does that sound like it? Does that sound like something? Because Jess is Jess is like, well, I will go get the others and and that are upstairs and get them out of the house. And they're like, no, 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 don't don't do that. Just you know, walk into the house for fun or something. And then she's like, what? And uh, like, fine, it's the calls are coming from inside the house. You got to get out of the house. So of course she doesn't. Then she goes to get the fire poker and decides to take care of this herself. This is the cop that she spoke to before, though. Like, this is this is the shit cop. So, like, you know. There, there is a lot of tension. I feel like this movie is... I feel like it could be maybe seen as slow, but I feel like the pacing is very intentional and well done, especially with, like, you know, the phone call, each phone call not lasting long enough and, you know, and just knowing that with each one, the killer gets closer and more dangerous. Like, you know, I talked a lot about how when... Halloween, Jamie Lee Curtis doesn't know there's a horror movie going on until the last <laughs> 10 minutes of the movie. This is one where, like, even though it's not a lot of, like, it's not like a big gore fest or killing left and right, like, it is a little more of a mystery. It is more methodical, but I find, like, just how grounded and it is and the that it is just, like, very much based on these real-life killings and that there is nothing not real-life about it. I found it just all ramped up to a, just more tension, and I found myself more forgiving of a sl- bit of a slower pace as it just kept, the tension just kept ramping up and ramping up as the movie went along. I found yeah, and until those last ten minutes, nobody has found a body other than the little girl in the park. Like, yeah, nobody knows yeah. that any of these people are dead. By the the terms of 1970s cinema, this movie is speedy. I've I've never. Like I think the 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 missing kid kind of subplot that there's never an explicit tie in resolution kind of always makes that feel like padding, but like yeah, yeah no I've never I've never boy I've never I've never felt this drag I've it just it's it's like a tight ninety let's say ninety eight yeah. minutes right like it's yeah it, it just yeah it's by for me we do a lot of these horror movies and. You, you wouldn't think some of these movies could drag with only ninety minutes, but some of oh, them sure, find sure. A, some of them oh. find a way. Yeah, no, I found myself really like honestly because kind of glued to the screen on this one. Like this was one where, again, the POV is effective. You know, you can see where it kind of falls. You know, it was definitely inspired by a Psycho. I definitely see how this would go on to inspire uh, uh, Raimi. <laughs> But well, in Halloween, I mean, I think it's Halloween, Halloween. Yeah. yeah, oh yeah, yeah directly really Halloween. See. Yeah, but yeah, just this like tense of like again the tension of getting introduced to all these characters, having enough time to really connect with them, and then have them be picked off one by one with these characters ne- really for the most part never getting closer to the mystery or figuring it out, and it all just being in this very grounded and real method and tone. Yeah, fuck this movie. This movie is a chilling movie. I get why it it deserves its spot as a horror classic. Yeah, so I, I think Nash legitimately does his best not to tell her. His best just isn't very good. So yeah. he, he tells her it's and she, she tries to go upstairs to you know tell the other girls, get them out of there, but finds they're both dead. 
This is where Matt mentioned the shot of the, you know, eyeball peeking just around the door. And she slams the door, I guess, on his hand. Um, and he chases her through. Man- she manages to get down to the basement and lock herself into the basement. And he bangs and rattles and, and tries to get in. But eventually walks off until we see, like, somebody stalking around the outside of the basement, looking through the windows, trying to figure out what's going on. And we discover it's Peter, which, too... I think for her and eventually everybody else in this movie, it makes sense that those are the same person that Peter didn't yeah. just happen to be stalking around outside and hear some screaming. So came to see what was going on, which is presumably what happened. So yeah, he, he breaks. He was the just stalking around outside masturbating, but then he heard the screams and he yeah. decided to get involved. <laughs> it, was, it was, it was making it hard to masturbate. All the screaming was just girls. You know, keep it down. I'm trying to work. <laughs> yeah, like I, I imagine Which, he's definitely the kind of person. <laughs> yeah, it's like the opening of Ichi the Killer. Christ. Yeah, so uh, he he breaks into the basement and uh, presumably just then beats him to death with that fire poker. Because when we next see him, the cops are coming to check on them and find Peter dead, with his head in Jess's lap. It, it's um, some real. Uh... No country for old men stuff in that I had to rewind and make sure I hadn't missed part of the movie or there was something wrong with the YouTube video. <laughs> yeah. On YouTube? Do we think he's dead? For free. I I think he's dead. Because they would have they would have they suspected him in a big way and they said that they that she killed him. Oh, okay. Then great. Okay, he's dead. Yeah. They yeah. said so. Peter said we don't know about Billy. Who if Billy was Right, right, right. No, no Billy I, definitely or, not dead. Yeah, Billy's not dead. Yeah, no, I guess I, I forgot that she... But yeah, no, it's it's totally everybody assumes he went crazy. Which, and... He is innocent yeah. of murder, but still guilty of being a abusive asshole. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, we don't know he's not Billy, right? I mean, because they don't show Billy when they when they pan out. Jeremy, the implication no, is he's in she there. does get a call when he's there. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, but which, he's which not she like says in the earlier, room. She's... She's confident that it's not him because yeah. he was there when they got a call. But, but I don't again, think she says that to anybody other than Phil. Nothing in the movie makes you think he is not capable of domestic abuse, even if he is 100%. not a 100%. serial killer. Yeah. Yeah, just that like, apparently passes out. She's she faints of being a woman in a horror movies in the seventies. Like, yeah, he. I mean, Peter is like, I mean, on paper, the most innocent explanation is. This is a man who has had multiple screaming matches about his partner who is trying to have an abortion and is now breaking into her house. Yeah, yeah. 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 Breaking into your that, house to keep yelling at you. That is the most yeah. charitable explanation for what Peter's doing right now. He's breaking into yeah. your house to save you. And it's uh, breaking into he, her does, house he doesn't know that there's a killer. He's just breaking in so he can yell at her more. He knows that there's a killer. They're on they're, everyone's like on a neighborhood watch or whatever. Yeah, looking... there's a possible. Yeah. Okay. There's a little girl who died. And he goes, I, Oh no. I like, like to imagine real... that Peter my, did he... somehow in fact kill the cop because the cop outside being dead is a little difficult to explain with Billy being in the attic, but you know, Billy's semi superpowered anyway, so yeah, it's sort of the one, it's kind of for me the most obvious point that they hadn't quite, like they had the hook, the calls are coming from inside the house, but like if you go, like why didn't they hear, like at some points they can hear things upstairs, but they couldn't Only have heard the him just 
dick yeah they heard the cat upstairs yeah. but they didn't hear the screaming yelling billy phone call you know like like if you can hear a cat knock a thing over upstairs then surely someone screaming at the top of their lungs and someone else screaming at him would be audible like it's you know i think what you did happen to the cat is the cat just still chilling with the corpses just yeah, having it's feeding on corpses Christmas. it's it's just yeah. chowing down that yeah, that's the last time we saw it, it it was licking claire's corpse but yeah, the the it's thing that's helping, helping that people work, find them. It's it's difficult to figure out for me is that in order for him to be making the calls from inside the house, he's got to be going back and forth to Mrs. Mac's room, like from there to the attic. So like it's a little. There's a second line somewhere. Like it's it's it, like it gets a little. What? Yeah. Also, you can't yeah. call yourself on the phone line you're on. I don't think even. Back in the day when somebody had to run and plug a cable into another cable, it was possible to call your own house. They say, they say Mrs. Mac has her own line. So like in her room, okay, so he should be able to yeah. call the yeah. house. Or he's he's but, patched in. He's, he's yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it could be, the line could be, have outlets in other Splitters. Rooms. Yeah. You just, yeah. Or, you know, you look, he's, he's clearly comfortable Spider-Manning around outside the the sorority house so you know i can i can buy that he could but I, the thing that always trips me up is like how do they not hear him if they can hear a cat knock a thing over yeah he is still like i do think you're right like with the phone lines them because again you do see him when some of the phone calls are being made he is like 25 feet away right like just up a staircase it is a level of i guess I guess it's one of those things where the movie just requires a certain level of suspension of disbelief because yeah. without it, it's like, yeah, you're going every scene being like, how does nobody hear this? Yeah, yeah. Although, I mean, also, it, it, it feels like it would have been a cool twist to that escape ending if the calls had been, like, pre-recorded and were being played on a tape. Ooh. That's what and I was thinking. And they walk in and, they, yeah. you know, and they find a tape playing and then he comes, you know what I mean? Like, there could have been, yeah. maybe could have been another. Yeah, this is, because otherwise this is the... The only house of that architect of that type right. that just does not have a single creaky floorboard. Yeah, yeah, and like he's I, really screaming, and then there's the other person screaming at him as well on the yeah, call, like which is presumably going Agnes out to or the Agnes phone. or whatever her name is, you know. Yeah, uh, I, I think the 2006 remake gets more into the backstory they came up with, but never used, and I think it was better left as a mystery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, well, it's it's never yeah always. It's because it that's always so much, was a, like that's it. so much abilities that you just get to input your whatever. It's that nothing yeah. is scary. Whatever is the scariest motivation and method, that's what you're putting in. Like that's what you're gonna imprint on the movie. Yeah, it's just you're leading to imagination. I did assume that it was a, like a recording the whole time. Like I assumed that he had some sort of weird. Also, because he was a music major, I can't trust those. That's. Not true. You can't trust communication majors. But what was that? And it sounds legit. Yeah. Yeah. But no, he, he the the recording thing was feasible. Although you know, thinking about the what was possible, I don't know if he could have plugged in. Anyway, this is, doesn't really matter. Yeah. But it, you know, I I think the technology was extant that he could have like used a recording, and it was part of his like method or whatever. And, you know, and it could have been another thing, too, where he had control over the line in the house when like, if they were then calling the police that yeah. they're talking to that it's Billy, quote unquote, taking the call and the police don't know that they're calling for help and rescue because the calls are being like it felt like I would have rather had a little bit more 
around how Billy was operating and fucking with them than the posse looking for the missing girl. Yeah. The missing girl, right. like, especially because we don't see the girl. She's not related to the sorority. Yeah. yeah. It's it's kind of just this, like, I guess it was useful to get certain people where the plot needed them to be. It's, you know, people yeah. in and out of yeah. the house, but it kind of feels like a, a bit of one element too many or just one that the plot that didn't really jive with the rest of the plot. It's, I mean, it's a little bit like Michael Myers art project where he somehow steals his steals. Judith Myers is a headstone and creates right. a tableau in Laurie Strode's bed. Yes. You know, in between killing everybody. No, that, that you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's just sort of one of those things of like, wait, what? Oh yeah. Right. Like I always forget until I watch the movie. Like, oh, right, he stole the tombstone and somehow carried it. That's what I love. And yeah, it's 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 a weird thing that kind of that's what I love about Michael Myers is that you think you think about him in your head, he's just like this unfeeling, just you know, almost devoid of thought killing machine. Then you go back and you watch the movies, and it's like, oh, so he decided to put on a ghost costume. He he appreciates presentation and tableau. It's an artist. He's a showman. He's a showman. Yeah. Gives him a little razzle dazzle. Yeah. You know, originally, even before they called him the shape, they called him uh, jazz hands. Yes. Like again, to this day, they say like, "Oh shit, it's twenty miles," or how it's like, two, or hours of, an hour's drive away from the asylum he escapes from to the town. I want to know what uh, he was listening to on the radio. That's a good. That's a very good question. Joe uh, Walsh's life's been good to me so far. Yeah, that, that goes lovely along with the fact that he's been in an asylum since he was like five, but knows how to drive a car all the way from there to Haddonfield without getting hey, any hey, sort of accident. Who knows what he and Dr. Loomis, you know, Michael, you're doing excellent on your therapy. Let's, let's see. Well, we're going to teach you how to drive. Why did I teach Michael Myers how to drive? Why did I think mistake? Why did I think teaching stick shift would cure him of evil? E you you pronounce it wrong. You pronounce it wrong. It's evil. Oh, uh, yes. yes. When, yes. Donald, when Donald Pleasant says it's evil. <laughs> evil has come to your little hamlet. Come home to stay. have played in God's territory by teaching Michael Myers how to drive. Don't, don't clone things. Don't teach Michael Myers how to drive. This is, these are the lessons we need to take from cinema. Mike finds a way. Um, yeah, Mike. Yeah. That's very good. Thank Thanks. you. So, uh, yeah, to, the future to, is Fee Michael Myers. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> to, to wrap up this the story of the movie, so we get like a sort of jump cut to they're inside the house now. The cops and everybody have Jess up on this bed in her room, I guess, instead of going in an ambulance or to the hospital or anything like that. They've taken her up to her room. They think the killer is dead because she has, has killed Peter. And Mr. Harrison does a fantastic fainting act, and everybody has to haul him out of there so he can go to the hospital. Jess doesn't need to go to the hospital. Mr. Harrison, very important that he go right now. We discovered that the uh, cops who all leave and turn off the light and everything at this point so that she's left alone in the sorority house by herself have never even checked out the attic. We get a sort of, you know, long pan down the hall to, uh, you know, it, it looks like he's getting ready to open the door and lower himself down where only the, there will only be the sleeping dress down there. And then we hear the phone ring from inside the house, which we know he calls them when he's killed somebody. So maybe he has killed. And yes. it rings and rings it's and so no one picks up implying. 
Bennett. Although she has been sedated, the implication is she's not alive to answer the phone. And that's so chilling that the credits just keep going and the phone just keeps ringing like, damn, this is one of my favorite endings. It does stick with you. It's pretty great. It's really, really chilling last few minutes there. Yeah, so, I mean, you talked about it a little bit already. Do we feel uh, like this movie is, is feminist? Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I mean, for the time, and absolutely for the time. I would say for, I mean, the one thing that's just fucking uh, horrific and besides just is Barb saying it, and we've dealt with, you know, Barb knowing that she's an asshole and all of her self-loathing issues, and, you know, it's supposed to be a reprehensible thing she's saying in-universe, too, so... I mean, yeah, between the characters, their actions, that they are fully formed people with you know wants and desires who are not exploited, and especially all the pro-choice messaging. I I think we gotta give uh Black Christmas its feminist bona fides. Yeah, for sure. The the fact that we have I mean, like like we said before, that there's this very reasonable communication about abortion that Peter is definitely presented to be unreasonable, right? He's He is an asshole. In other movies, his reasoning would maybe be he would be the victim, right? Like, I've, I've seen movies where his character is the victim in this situation. And, yeah, I feel know, like even into, like, the 2000s, I can't imagine this plot developing in this way and, like, what would be a mainstream horror movie? Like, the the way that, you know, she is treated as completely in the right as you know yeah oh yeah and it's not demanding an abortion she she does even she doesn't have to tell him about it you know and she does do that and is like very like reasonable about that fact but like yes this is what i'm doing i'm having an abortion this is happening and i feel like yeah even as as recently as you know the 2000s i can't i don't feel like people would have been okay with that being the like thing in the movie or at least the media wouldn't have been there would be a it would be really reactive like it you know i don't think that people can i mean it it takes a lot for a movie to have a discussion like that now without it just consuming so much of the plot where this is just a an important character development and you know yeah the the killer hangs up on it or is, is hung up on it so to speak and then you know as peter is hung up on it both of them and you know in the end whether Peter was the killer or not still doesn't matter because he was still an asshole. Um, yeah, and, and yeah, yeah, totally. And okay, uh, off, I didn't mean to, sorry. Oh, it's okay. I was just going to say that like, also the, the way that the, all of the women, the women are sexually liberated, right? Like mm-hmm. it's, it's no question, but it's not like a sexually liberated in Friday the 13th or even the other one, the Halloween's, <laughs> you know, the one we were just talking about. There's nothing exploitative about that, but they are, there's a maturity of the conversation about them that doesn't need to be exploitative. And it, and their deaths are not attributed to their sexuality either. Right, right. You know, there is judgment going on, but the horror in their deaths, there's, there's nothing sexual about their deaths either. Like, I mean, Barb gets killed by the unicorn horn, but it's not explicit in the way that another movie would make it explicit like if they change it's not giallo right like it's yeah. not a, there's there's no sexuality in the violence what little violence there is is not sexual yeah sexual yeah right? yeah honestly yeah. like 
I don't even think we have any idea what happened to Phil. Like she's just laying dead. No, with... which yeah. I'm grateful for because I don't want to see bad things ever happen to Andrea Martin. Yeah. 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 yeah it, it, you know, Peter's reaction to, Oh, I'm, I've, 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 I've gotten pregnant. I'm, I'm having an abortion is, but what about me? Yeah. But what uh, about my recital? Else, and everybody else is in some, you know, and, and, and I have always interpreted this realization, uh, this, 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 this unplanned pregnancy as being the thing that crystallizes in her mind. Like we need to split up. Yeah. Like she just got a glimpse of a life with that guy and realized, Oh no, 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 no. This is bad. Like, yeah. like I have always interpreted that is like, oh yeah, that is a relationship that does not make it past New Year. Yeah. You know, like, no like matter oh, what. this is the wake up call I needed because the idea of spending my life with you and having a child is a nightmare. And he, and yeah. then he, it, you know, is exactly. Even if she doesn't beat him to death with a fire poker. <laughs> also, yeah. that's not his, like, that's the school's piano he smashes, right? Yeah. I was curious about that. Pretty sure. I yeah, mean, I don't yeah. think he owns a, a, the piano or the mic stand that he uses to smash the piano. Yeah. So, you know, I see why he's deciding. Yeah, like, I don't know much about conservatories, but I don't think it's BYOP. Yeah, yeah, you don't get a free piano, that's for sure. BYOP? Yeah, bring your own (laughs) piano. Yeah, I I think think you're probably right on that. Again, he's like, I've decided to leave. I'm like, yeah, dude, I I think that ship sailed. You you destroyed a a fucking grand piano. Yeah. (laughs) That's the most violent thing in the movie. I, I don't think they let you stay in music schools after you do that. In terms of uh, cinematography, at least. Yeah. No, uh, I don't feel like this movie had a lot to say about like race because I don't think there are many non-white people, if any, really in it, other than like as background characters. There were. It there is, was a. It black... is very. It is very Canadian in that way. Yeah, there was a black couple, and there they were not homeless people in the city, which mm-hmm. was yeah. nice. But you know, that's like. You know, it's it's very white. Well, yeah, there's, there's no indigenous representation. Like it's certainly no. <laughs> it's certainly a very white movie. Yeah, it's not really about. You know, it's. I don't think it, it really was capable of talking about anything else than what it was talking about. Yeah, it feels like uh, it, it has a little more to say about class, not a whole lot, but uh, you know, we we do get I, I think sort of different representations well, of where I, the I just, I, I, yeah, I, I I think I think it's impossible to I, I think. Abortion rights is is a right to a a lane of of life that, especially in 1974, would have been otherwise unavailable to a mother. Like yeah. for her, it's very much like, no, I have plans. I'm going to have a career. I'm in school. I have a future. I have a profession. I have a passion. I have a vision for what my life is. And it's not making sure you have dinner yeah. when you walk in the door. You know, like I, I think it's I think I think her entire that decision is about realizing her life as a professional before she gets married and has a baby and all that stuff. So like, I, I don't know that it's necessarily explicit in text, but I, I don't know how to, it's such an economic decision. Yes. Know? And also it represents in their conversation, it represents his misunderstanding of how, I mean, like his privilege. Cause he's like, Oh, you can get married and do whatever you want. Yeah. yeah no, sure. he can, can, can get married and do whatever he wants. She can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Uh, she very explicitly, he's like, I will drop out of the conservatory and I'll go get a job. And she's like, you may have given up on your dreams, but I have not. Yeah. Like, yeah. I have got yeah. shit I am going to do and it's not yeah. going to jive with having your baby. Yeah. And that, and Monkey D. Luffy does not stand for that. <laughs> no. I'm just putting it right now because this is topical. 
very pro you're you know following your dreams yes dreaming don't give it uh, up. How, how do we feel did about you, did how you just this... reference the four kids one piece rap continue jeremy what you're saying how, how do we feel like this movie does deal with mental illness such as it does it's not overly condemning of it i think it's not an explicit theme i mean it's definitely not an explicit theme i would think you know it's it's clearly got a sympathetic view for Barb's self-destructive cycle that she's on. I mean, I get again, it was 1974. Serial killers were such a new thing. The mind hunter guys hadn't mind hunted yet. They were mind hunting as we spoke. They were actively mind hunting. So, <laughs> you know, I'm not going to with Billy and stuff like that, you know, depending on how you feel about that, if that you chalk that up to if you consider that mental health, you know, I'm not going to condemn this movie too harsh based on our understanding now of what was then an incredibly new and not well understood phenomenon. Yeah. yeah it doesn't make the psycho mistake of attributing it to a specific mental illness that they don't quite understand. And I know, think at every that, turn, that on other people that although, you know, have to deal with that in I real never life. read that psycho is, is blaming the condition. I think it's like, because the question that's answered in that whole thing is like, well, why was he dressed up like his mother? Yeah, and the movie, I think it's 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 and, not. Why did he kill those people? Well, you know what I mean. The psycho example is where you kind of gotta separate the text from the impact, because the movie does explicitly go out of its way to say like this guy is not transgender, like that is a thing, <laughs> and that is not what he is. Like this is a, something totally separate with the mom, and but just because the movie says that has. You know, that is a lie in the movie. That doesn't mean that, you know, over the decades, it hasn't, you know, that's still been some of the impact there. Like, you of know, course, of course. Yeah. So yeah. I think, and again, not to condemn anyone involved in the making of Psycho, but, you know, just, I guess, you know, just cognitive dissonance, juggling all those different. Yeah, and like intent, you know, uh, yeah. intent is never, you know, whatever, regardless of your intent, however it's received. I, just, I always yeah. felt like I was, I think they were trying really hard and they just didn't have the tools to yeah do it you know yeah um, agree. yeah i think well, with this one though the at every turn the mystery works to the movie's advantage yeah, yeah. Yeah. yes absolutely and i'm glad like like it has been said you know i'm glad that there's not a specific condition they're not talking about whatever fake psychology was happening during yeah. the, the time you know because that was the psychology was basically like magic at, even in the 70s you know especially in film but yeah, I as, think, as we witnessed in the brood where yes. is is actual well, weird bizarre magic that's no. david cronenberg and i don't think we should measure how cinema clocks psychology based on david cronenberg no yeah, that's fair. That's i'm fair. just uh, you know, even something like you know like even friday the 13th is like oh pamela Voorhees wants revenge against inattentive teens that allowed her son to drown yeah like it's just revenge yeah it's like these these kids were were playing grab ass and my kid drowned and now i'm gonna kill kids who come to this camp and yeah. like it's never oh well she she had a terrible snap from reality it's just like oh it's revenge it's a clean it's yeah. a really clean fucking story until the frog boy you know jumps out of the lake at the end but like it's um yeah and it, by... it's kind of the thing about halloween that that doesn't sit well with me is like the the quasi edible wait so he saw yeah. his sister 
getting getting yes. it on and then that's decided another... to kill her. You know what I mean? Like, and, and that's, yeah. and talk about a sexual killing. Like that's, you know, way more explicit, yeah, was, right? Like he was all shot. wrapped up in sex at the very beginning mm-hmm. when they just, yeah. you know, when they were trying and then, to describe his whole, like his origin, yeah. which, yeah, you know, yeah, it was Friday all, the 13th from part three onwards. He just has this, you know, a very clean motivation of he wants to show off his new hockey mask. Yeah. He's very private. He wants everyone to see it. It took it took him three movies to get a look that doesn't suck. Dude, and this movie has a better hockey mask, though. I'm sorry. Oh, oh that was a great. great hockey mask. That hockey mask like upset me in ways that I found like me questioning myself. Like, am I am I conditioned by Jason Voorhees? Is there some sort of like, do I have some sort of internalized racism about these colors or something? Like, I don't know what is happening. I am a, I am a big fan of all the ambiguity and the lack of answers around Billy. Cause man, does, is he just so terrifying as this almost elemental totemic yeah. co- like concept. Yeah. Of he's like, the a, he's like a child pulling wings off a fly. It's just yeah. cruel. Yeah remorseless totally. you can't reason with it it's what the really scary thing is it's you know there's no there's no method there's no reasoning it's just oh you're you're in my little and, menagerie and i'm gonna kill you one at a time you know even without yeah. the murder i mean even, take away the murder this is a guy who got a hold of a phone number and has decided i am now just gonna terrorize women without end because i it's, can and because it's funny and makes him feel powerful it is a little a little mm at walsh and the jerk right god damn random bastard son of a bitch random just picked a number out of the book and like oh jackpot six girls yes <laughs> yeah like honestly it's like hell it's like it reminds me of you know this is decades before the internet's a thing but you know all of the vitriol and abuse that you know women face that so many women can face just existing on the internet and well, how see- I don't know. It just reminded me of that. Just, you know, just that, just the abuse that just comes with existing in, and, a, in this the, world. The, yeah. They're, they're not any of them. Like, this is not the first prank call they have dealt with. Yeah. It is a reality of things. And this yeah, is and, I mean, something even, that, even like, in the last, I want to say 10, 15 years, my, my wife used to work at a, like, a property management place where, you know, they had to answer the phone. That was part of her job. And, you know, she would get heavy breathing, creepy phone calls at, you know, at that job. And if they they called and got, you know, one of the men that worked there, they just hang up and then, you know, call again until they, they got one of the women that worked there. Yeah, like that's still very much a reality, even with all the guards we have against it now. Yeah. And well, and, and to go back to the feminism question, I mean, it is feminist. Yes. But that's another point to that is that this movie is talking about that. In a, a very, prof- like, I don't know, at the time it was profound, you know, because these calls were a precursor to murder and they had a very good reason for being scared of these calls and the cops still dismissed it. And then because the cops dismissed it, everybody fucking died. Right. So we have this narrative where it's not a joke and they are struggling against the lasting and to this day lasting dismissive or dismissal i should say of that happening especially with sororities you know anywhere that is known to have a number of women living there and there's going to be a certain amount of harassment and 
to this day, a lot of people just sit there and deal with it because it's not worth making a big deal out of. And that's another thing with Barb is that what she does in that moment, maybe we have had a lot of friends that have done that in the past. But like, if you really look at the number of friends of yours that have had that happen, it takes maybe 10 or so, or maybe forever for one of them to actually like be able to speak up and be like, fuck off to the person on the phone. Cause it's just so fucking scary and violating. Sure. Sure. And this movie talks about that. It doesn't, and it doesn't preach about it, which is also interesting. I don't think it was, you know, I don't think it had time or even the, the interest, but the fact that that was just take it as read. I think even in the moment she's doing it, Phil is like, do you really want to provoke somebody like that? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, you know, there's uh, there's like all this conflicting stuff about it that is not something that that men were used to hearing or that they were used to hearing without being like, well, it's just just some dude having a good time. Yeah. You know, yeah. oh, come on. What's the big deal? Yeah. It's only a thing that makes you worried for your safety and the privacy of your own home. Come yeah. on. No big deal. <laughs> something i a man have never considered you know like yeah it's it's what do you think another thing about john saxon showing up is he's he is like listening and taking them seriously and even if it is all bullshit he's gonna get to the bottom of it like yeah the very least he makes them feel heard yes he does and he tries but i think that one of the lessons taken there is that he even though he tries and he's an authority figure the system is so fucked up that he just can't get past that and he's he's rendered helpless by it it's nice to watch him embarrass Nash a few times in that section. Uh, just to be like, well, yeah. you don't know what the fuck you're doing. You're very bad at your job. Uh, yeah. Like, uh, yeah, it's it's appreciated at that point in the movie. Yeah, the other big thing, you know, we want to talk about, we talked a little bit about it before, but generally any sort of LGBTQIA themes and characters in this, the only the only real thing I could think of is is uh, we talked quite a bit about, our, about Barb. Right. I think, yeah, I think we tackled barb's compulsory heterosexuality and the and the lesbian cabidon that's going on with phil and jess 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 yeah i think so yeah so i don't know it's interesting i feel like looking around the internet there have been there are plenty of other people who you know women who have related to that seeing her as either gay or bisexual or generally queer um yeah i mean also that lines up (laughs) getters just got some real queer energy in this movie. Oh yeah. I do, and, at a certain point, I don't know what to say other than girls got vibes. Yeah, and then like she definitely reminds me of several queer female friends I've had before that are just yeah. like dealing with it. She's just dealing it with it with booze and dark humor. Like that's just how she's getting through the shit. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think uh, is that it? Are we? Uh, is that yeah. have we wrapped up our discussion of Black Christmas tonight? Yeah, do we want to uh, say, uh, I, I guess it sounds like we all recommend this movie, right? And yeah. Check oh, out. hell yeah. It's, yeah. it's You're listening to this Thanksgiving week. There's no better way to kick off the official rush to Christmas tomorrow on Black Friday than with Black Christmas. Black oh, Christmas I will Friday, say baby. one more testament to uh, Barbie and Gay. She does refer to herself as the fastest tongue in the West at one point. That's right. <laughs> That's... Oh. So... <laughs> But she could play the piano. Yeah, yeah. I think like if you want, if you watch this movie on Black Friday, this will probably be the least scary thing that happens to you on Black Friday. So, you know, it's it's a good time. I, I think it's definitely those girls were watching. lucky. I had to go to Target. 
Yeah, I got trampled. You'll definitely meet Wasn't it people at least as psychotic as Billy at Target on Black Friday. So, Also, the cat does not die, yeah. as far as we know. Yes. The cat is... Cat uh, gets attic treats. Yeah, the cat's a collaborator. Uh, no, the cat was helping. The cat was trying to unwrap her. I think the cat was luring people to their deaths. Uh, no, the cat was trying to, to... The cat was the only one who was telling people where they were, but they couldn't tell what they, the cat was saying because they don't speak cat. And that's their fault. The cat just wants more meat snacks, and she's the cat is bringing them to Claude. I think it was the cat's name, right? Claude. That's a pretty yeah. good name for a cat. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's some it's solid wordplay right it's there. A good pun. Yeah. yeah. So as far as uh, recommendations, does anybody have anything they want to recommend to people, either related to this or not? Just any any cool movies or anything else uh, for that matter? I've been watching Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood with my partner. And it's still the really, 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 really good anime. <laughs> has has nothing to do, to do with, with this movie. Has nothing to do with Black <laughs> Christmas, but it's all I got right now. You know, follow your dreams like Monkey D. Luffy. The Monkey the Netflix series is a lot better than it has any right to be. Right? Oh, my God. Bring on season two. Yeah. Jamie Lee, Jamie Lee Curtis. Jamie Lee Curtis. As it's happening. It's happening. Whatever. Like Chopper's mom. Anyway, but no, I... You know, if you really want, like, I would highly recommend this movie. Watch Psycho. Watch the other phone movie we talked about. Please help. That's not the name of it. I'm asking you guys for no, the uh, uh, Stranger Calls. The Stranger Calls. Yeah, that. And then watch Scream and just have like an idea of how phones and slashers have evolved through the ages. I'm sure there's a lot of uh, essays that horror enthusiasts have wrote, written about that, and they're on the internet somewhere. You know, Kayla Janice, who's a, a film writer and programmer in Canada, edited a book called Yuletide Terror that is like a survey of Christmas horror themes. Oh, it's nice. really, really terrific. I know you can buy it digitally, and she had come across a inventory I don't think she knew she had or didn't have access to. So for a while, the physical copy was, was available again. But uh, yeah, Kayla Janice is a, a great, incredible. She wrote The House of Psychotic Women. Oh, cool. Um, okay. Which is one of my absolute favorite books about like that and, and women in chainsaws. Or, like it's it feels like the extension of that. It's she's an incredible writer. She just has seen everything and has wonderful, a, a very intuitive kind of way of writing. But yeah, so Yulta Terror is a lot of fun if you're uh, into other Christmas horror, which which I very much am. Let's see. I saw Bottoms last week. It was really terrific. Um, I've been now to that see that. Now that it's November, it. as people are listening to this, I'm, I can't imagine it's still in theaters, but really needs to be seen with a big crowd. Hey, did you know? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Bottoms, check it out. Fantastic. It's definitely oh, wait, and, and Monarch, Legacy of Monsters on Apple TV. That oh, yeah. Awesome. Yes, yes. I hear that's really watched. good. Yeah. I hear that has, the writing is really good on that show. Particularly, oh, what Chris was it, episode eight? I hear really strong, really strong writing. <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't, but they're all wonderfully written. Uh, Mariko Tamaki is on our writing staff. She wrote an episode. We've oh, wow. uh, and, and Chris Black, my co-creator and co-EP, who did Outcast and 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 some Star Trek stuff. And and we've got a, we had an amazing room full of terrific writers who've written all kinds of great stuff. Yeah, check it out. Fantastic. Uh, Emily, did you have something you wanted to recommend? Oh, I, I was recommending the oh. Psycho and Scream and yeah, everything. Psycho. But, yeah, Psycho. Yeah. Got it right, and you know what? Well, and watch a Christmas story by Bob Clark. Yes, just I was to see say. <laughs> how he shoots it the same way. 
uh, an interesting like, double feature. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Guy made, I think uh, guy made two Christmas movies. He only made one Porky's, but he made two Christmas movies. I am excited. We've got a uh, Silent Night coming up with John Woo directing a Christmas action movie. Man, I gotta say, I was into it, and then like the kid dies in the trailer, and it, <laughs> yeah. it feels very much. Oh, you know. Oh, you think John Wick had it bad with his dog dying? This dude's fucking kid dies. Honestly, realistically, I'm gonna be way more connected to the John Wick dog than I am the silent night kid yeah, yeah. It just like it just when the kid dies in the trailer to inspire the rip roaring rampage of revenge like ugh, I, it I'm, worked I'm, in face off and never again yeah i don't i don't know i just it's i don't it's, even know if it worked in face off yeah uh, i don't know if that's what worked in face off yeah there's other worked things that might not in... be worked might be a strong word there are things that functioned in face off it was memorable well, speaking Wait, of... which was also John Woo. This is just John Woo killing kids to motivate yeah, protagonists it's a, it's again. Just a, it's just a, it's a, it's just such a cheap, easy. Yeah. A whole freezer full of children. <laughs> yeah. I, speaking of things that are memorable. So I, I was going back and forth to a couple of cons the last few weeks and I, I got to get an early start on my scary movie month and I watched something I had weirdly never seen which is the original fright night oh that's a lot of fun yeah is a movie that is incredibly gay for chris sarandon like that that movie loves chris sarandon passionately like it just really spends a lot of time on him like him just leaning into shots and him just being the most the whole time it's a lot of fun it's really enjoyable it feels like once you get to like the third act it's like it, it doesn't really want to do the action stuff it just wants to like do fun vampire stuff, but like it's it's a lot of fun to uh, to check out. You, so you get to watch Marcy from Married with Children pretend to be seventeen. It's great. <laughs> yeah, clearly thirty four years old when she made that movie. Yeah, it's it's it doesn't even make her her casting doesn't even make sense. They were just like, we want to have this actress in it. What female characters do we have? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so I, I think it's it's a lot of fun. If, if you haven't seen it, I mean, we'll almost certainly talk about it on here at some point. But it's a lot of fun. It's a goofy 80s vampire movie. It does have... Oh, that's such an undersell. <laughs> that's such an undersell. <laughs> Lost Boys is a goofy 80s vampire movie. Fright Night is about a horror host. It turns out yes. the horrors are real. Come on, yes. man. Yeah. 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 I mean, I have... It's not... It's, it doesn't really rise up to the promise of the premise, but, like, it goes for it. It's... You yeah. Know. I didn't see the remake. deep and abiding the passion remake? for Lost Boys, but, you know... Lost that's, Boys is an experience. That's my elevator like pitch. It has as much to do with the age I was when I first saw Lost Boys as anything else. It's just like something fixated on. But yeah, we've. I still believe. I remember being so excited that a scene in the movie took place in a comic book shop that I convinced myself it was a better movie than it really was. It's fine. I don't. I wouldn't say the movie is a good movie. I just really enjoy the movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I know the taste is subjective, but in this case, it's not. It's actually objective. And Lost Boy is objectively sucks. Alicia, cut this. We don't want Matt getting back back backlash. I'll stand by it. There's a lot of horror, I'm sure there's a lot of movies I, I horror movies, uh, especially on the people think. I think Lost Boy is demonstratively it's a bad vampire movie. Yeah, well, this I, is why I enjoy doing a horror podcast because yes. nobody ever comes at us with like super angry opinions about like Scream Four. 
Right, right. Uh, yeah, just just there's a reason know, I try to have about... a no superhero movie discourse rule on this show. <laughs> I mean, just having talked to you about uh, horror movies you like, just don't go back and listen to our Texas Chainsaw Massacre episode. Yeah, I, no, uh, I get it. I get it. Like that's a I I I get it. I don't even you know what I mean. Like yeah, totally get it. Yeah, yeah. That one's one that's just just not a me thing. Speaking about a me thing, you to wrap up, Matt. Let people know uh, where they can find you and and what all you're up to including uh, where they can find your show. Well, the show is called Monarch Legacy of Monsters, and it's on Apple TV starting November 17th. I believe that is its worldwide premiere date, but it was, but yeah. So it's Kurt Russell and Godzilla and an astonishing cast. And I, I hope to God the writers, the, the actor strike is resolved because our cast are amazing and they deserve all the attention and applause in the world for the work they do in the show. It looks incredible. We shot around the world. But yeah, keep your eyes up for that. And you can't find me anywhere. I don't, I'm not, I'm not on social media and uh, will not be. So, you know, oh. uh, I'll see you around. It's a good plan, not being on social yeah. media. Yep. Very good plan. Emily, let us know about uh, your mistakes being on social media. Oh, there, there are many. Megamoth.net has all of my socials on there. Eventually a, you know, concise online portfolio, but. Just what was it? You, you said it very fast. What was it? Megamoth.net. I'm Megamoth on Twitter and on Blue Sky and uh, Mega underscore Moth on Instagram, which is where I post the most art. That's not my Patreon. Patreon.com slash Megamoth. Like a moth bro. I do, I'm doing a thing with my hands. I know. I saw it. Yeah, I got it. It's, it's yeah. 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 We can so hear it. Our, you guys can hear the flapping? Oh, yeah. Everybody can hear that. Okay. <laughs> Ben, what about you? Uh, you can find me at BenConComics.com, uh, BenConComics on Instagram, BenTheCon on Twitter, will not call it X. And uh, yeah, pick up some of the books I've had coming out. L. Campbell Wins Their Weekend uh, is out in bookstores now, my middle grade prose debut. And keep your eye out. Check out uh, Captain Laserhawk over on Netflix and then check out the Captain Laserhawk manga from Tokyo Pop that I was the writer on uh, coming out this winter. Nice. As for me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram as jrome 58 and you can find me on Tumblr and Blue Sky as Jeremy Whitley. The uh, second volume of School for Extraterrestrial Girls, which I do with Jamie Noguchi, is out right now. And my new book from Titan is uh, available for order and for coming out in February. That's called the cold ever after it's our, my, my first like adult graphic novel. So there's, there's, there's nudity and then killing in it. So I've gone so long without doing any of those things in comics. So definitely check those out. And of course, check out the uh, podcast at progressively horrified or at prog horror pod on Twitter, progressively horrified dot transistor dot FM. And wherever you are listening to podcasts, we are there and we would love to hear from you. So leave us, uh, you know, reviews, comments, let us know what you think. We would love to get five-star reviews. It helps uh, us find more people, which then helps us make more stuff, which really just benefits you in the end. So why not go review us? Join the Patreon. Yeah. Join the Patreon. Help us keep doing this. Thanks so much for all of you joining us. And thank you so much, Matt Fraction, for joining us. This was fantastic. Thank you so thank much, you for Matt. asking. Thank you for having me, you guys. I really appreciate it. Of Thanks, course, y'all. thank you so much for coming on. This was so wonderful having you on tonight. Yeah. Any 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 opportunity to rewatch Black Christmas, I'll take. Thanks. 
You're welcome to come back and watch Black Christmas again with us if you like. Does it have to be one of the remakes? No. Great. Watch this again. Great. That's <laughs> it. Was, was, yeah. Annually. Yeah. Weekly. All right. Let's do it. Right. That's the Bye, new everybody. podcast. The Black Christmas podcast. Thanks, as always, to Ben and Emily. Thanks to all of you for listening. And until next time, stay horrified. <laughs>